the inside. She got the scoop on the ones to watch, on the ones that's hot. No one can do it quite like Caroline. Caroline. No one can do it quite like Caroline. It's time for Caroline. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Hyper Caroline Hobby. I am your host, Caroline Hobby. I know music, I know people, and I know the questions you want to ask. So let's get hyper. Heads up, these are adults having adult conversations, so there could be adult content. I'm super pumped about this episode. I have Jimmy Harnon in the house. What, what? This guy was a rock star. He had a huge pop hit, Where Are You Now? One of the only guys in the record business to have also been a huge star himself. So now he's running big machine labels as EVP. And he is the head president of BMLG Records, where my husband and a thousand horses is signed, Michael Habe, what, what? Also, he launched Luke Bryan, Eric Church, Darius Rucker, Brett Young. He's awesome. He's amazing. And we talk all about what it's like to be in the middle of the record industry, running it all, making it happen. Y'all get excited. Here is Jimmy Harnon. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hi, Jimmy Harnon. I was going to wear that same shade of lipstick, and then I thought, no, because I just had a feeling today you're going to wear that. Ruby, like, no, it's actually cherry red. Cherry red. Were you feeling it? I'm feeling it, yeah. It would look so good on you. I think so. (laughs) Okay, so I'm here with Jimmy Harnon, who you have an incredible bio, an incredible life, and you're pretty much just the shiznit. Would you like to manage me or like become a publicist? Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'd like to be your publicist. A deal. I want to start off with a few questions and just answer rapid fire. The first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, boy. Are you ready for this? Okay. Vision board. Win. Oh, love that. Okay. Bucket list. Shooting under part the Masters. (laughs) Like playing the Masters? Yeah, at Augusta, yeah. Like, do you want to play with, like, Tiger and all them? Like, on the real... No, I say bucket list. I mean, any 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 time a great round of golf on a great golf course is a big is a big bucket list for me. Why do you love golf so much? You know, I don't really know. I think it's just a, it's a it's a chance to get out and do something different than what I do. Um, you're in the outdoors. You get a chance to walk and see some beautiful scenery and spend time with a lot of people. So it's just the opposite of what I do day in and day out. So it's like a great escape. So day in day out, what do you do? Uh, I do a lot of stuff. Um, you know, it depends on where Scott wants to use me, but it's... Scott as in Scott Warshetta. Scott Warshetta, yeah. Because you're a big machine label group. Yes. So I'm EVP of the label group, and I'm president of BMLG Records. What does E mean? Executive vice president. Okay, so you're executive vice president right. of the entire label, and there's label. four labels. Yes. So you run... No, you, there's, you, there's BMLG Records. Okay, and you're president of that one. Yes. There's Big Machine, there's Valerie, there's Nash, Icon, and then there's Dot. So, so there's, there's five. five. Yeah. So you are... Vice president of all of them and then president of EVP BMLG. of all of those and then president of BMLG Records. That's a lot of responsibility. Well, I mean, Scott balances it out, so there'll be a lot of times when I come in and work with the promotion departments for all the labels, uh, come in with some of the marketing, um, again, some of the promotion, some of the A&R, who work with Allison and, uh, and Laurel. So it's great. It, no two days are the same, which is fantastic. And it's a lot of fun seeing uh, great people like your husband. And a thousand horses. And a thousand horses, yes. Yes. How? Well, we have a new single coming out. So excited. I agree. Okay, so I kind of, there's so many things I want to talk about since you brought that up. How do you decide what single to go with with an artist? Because to me, that's one of the hardest decisions as a creative person myself, former songwriter, all that. Like, how do you know which song is the one? Because all of them are so good in their own right, you know? I think it's a a process. I think you, um, 
you get the songs and then you, you, know, you share them with the staff and the staff will start raising their hands and saying, I like this song. Uh, so like with A Thousand Horses, we had several cuts and Preaching to the Choir just kept raising its hand. That's a phrase that Scott Borchetta uses. I like that phrase. Yeah. He said the hit single always raises its hand. I, so then I you start taking true. it to some radio people. You, like your trusted ones. Yeah. You... There's, there's a lot of people who we, you know, we call them the, you know, the kind of the ears of the format and they're always very honest. So you play it for them. You play it for your friends, your wife, your family. And all of a sudden the song just kind of, kind of creeps up. But the real ones like Preaching to the Choir, we just knew instantly we heard, we're like, okay, that's the one. You just then, felt it. Yeah. And then we use the rest of our our, t- our tastemakers to, you know, to confirm or reconfirm what we think. So, okay, so say like you go to your staff and you say, we really feel good about this, everyone yeah. feels good about it, and so then you take it to radio. What if radio doesn't feel good about it? Well, I mean, you hope you hope that by the time you've done all those screeners that radio likes it and it works out well, and typically it does. I mean, you miss. I mean, sometimes great songs aren't hit records. That's which, true. Which is sad. But, well, um, a lot of the greatest songs aren't hit records. Yeah. Sometimes, like the most yeah. lyrically profound songs, yeah. sometimes are too heavy for people. Well, I don't think people really understand how difficult it is to get an entire country of radio stations. It's like a miracle. Yeah, to move up <laughs> the, the same time. And sometimes you might have success that comes out of the Northeast, and then it comes out of the Southwest. And by the time it gets here, this, this format, this part of the country is already done. Uh, you could have another because song when you out. mean that, like, so there's 130 radio stations across the country, right, or well, something th- like there's that. There's a ton of them. I mean, and they and they break down into different panels. So there's like reporters, non-reporters, non-reporters, right? And then there's media based Billboard, Music Row. So there's various different um, ways that they they put them together in categories. So when you say you're moving a song across the country, every radio station adds a song at their own pace. Like no, one, you don't just send a song out. And everyone adds it and starts playing it. We'd like a certain that. amount of times a day. That does happen with some big records. Yes. Once you're a superstar, it kind of happens more, but. Especially Especially with the baby bands, yeah. can you break down why is it breaking an act is mm-hmm. like, it's an act of God. It's a miracle. When it actually happens, yeah. everything has to line up, right? Yeah. It's really, really challenging and um, it does happen a lot. And when it does happen... Especially with you. You're really great at it. Well, we've been, I've been blessed to work with a lot of great people and have a lot of great music. So I that feel like you're great job. at breaking acts. Thank you. I appreciate that. Again, it's the great music because without great music and a great support team and a great team of other people, uh, you just can't do it. So we've, we've been blessed and I've been blessed to do it here at a capital and uh, you know, just very fortunate. You, tell me some of the people you've broken. Well, um, in terms of breaking them, I, I ran the promotion department at Capitol when we broke Luke Bryan, Eric Church, Darius Rucker, Lady Annabellum. And then, of course, Keith Urban was already successful. Dirks was already successful. And then over here at Big Machine Labor Group, it was uh, the band Perry, Florida Georgia Line, Thousand Horses, uh, and now Brett Young. So what is, how do you do it? How do you break and then how do you pick your team? Because I know having a great team is really important. So how do you pick your staff? Because they're like your hands and feet yeah. that go out there and talk to radio, get the song going. Like, How do you pick your staff and then how do you set up and break a new act? Well, picking a staff, I think I, I really take a lot of pride in interviewing people. And it's always about character. So I like people who are hard workers, who are driven, but really have great character. And I have a little sticker on my uh, computer that Mike Dungan gave me at Capital that says, do the right thing. I love that. So I'm always interested in people who do the right thing. And if you have good people who work really hard, do the right thing, and have a great, great character, you always get great results. Or you'll get, you'll get great results more often than you won't. Yes. Uh, and in terms of picking songs... Um, you know, it's the same thing we talked about. We screen them. And then after a while, you know, I don't do anything else very well. So <laughs> this has been the one set of, of talent that, the, that God has given me. Uh, I can't fix a car. I can't even fix a lawnmower. I don't cut the grass. I'm, I'm the world's worst handyman. So I think all my brain cells have been in this. And just like somebody who's great at fixing cars, who's great at baseball or great at football, they, they've just been uh, in it long enough. And, you know, I've done this my entire life since I was five years old. So What? 
Well, singing and performing and all that. Because so. you, I think, are the only record label president or record label executive in the history of music that I can find that was a hit artist yourself. Uh, Jimmy Gilmer, who was a pub, uh, publisher at EMI, did it. And then uh, Tommy Mottola actually had a hit. He was a singer also? Yeah. yeah. <gasps> So it's a very small club. Yeah. Well, and, and there You're, might be more, but it helps to be, I mean, when you were around it all the time and you just immerse yourself in it, you just, you know, if, you, if you're in a pool all day long, you get wet. So if you're in the music <laughs> business your whole life, you eventually learn things that people who don't do it that much, you know, you know, don't learn. So tell me about how you got into singing, how you got your first hit, and then uh, how you transferred into now mm -hmm. being a badass record executive. Uh, well, badness, right? Thank you for that. Uh -huh. um, when I was a little boy, my we used to live in a town called Plymouth, Pennsylvania, and we, my mom used to take me on this bus to Wilkesbury to go shopping. We didn't have a lot of money, so she just took me. We walked around the stores and stuff. But when I got on the bus one day, it was empty, and it's and it sounded very reverberated, and I started singing the ballad of the Green Berets. Let's hear it. Uh, good. No. <laughs> but when I sang, it was like fighting soldiers from the sky, and. I heard that my voice re you know, resonating inside the, uh, the bus, and I love the way that sound. Yeah. And I can't believe my mother actually let me sing. So people would get on the bus, and she'd still let me sing. And oh I was wondering, gosh. like, if my son did that now or my daughter, I'd go, stop, they're getting your people on I'm the sure bus. I'm sure everyone loved it. It was like the magic bus ride. It was. Well, they were very <laughs> kind, and so that's how I started to sing. And then people would walk up to my mom and say, you should give him singing lessons. So I took some singing lessons, and then I started to play clarinet, then trumpet, then drums, then guitar, and piano. Okay, so you're a little bit of a project. You play all those instruments? Not very well. Why do you know, you, I oh, tried to play guitar for 20 years. I still can't play it. You play... Like six things? Well, I've, I've dabbled in all, in all things. So, But it's always been music. And again, that gets back to your last question. It's always been music. So while other people were you know, working on their craft in another form, this is all I did. So I did all that. And then uh, when I graduated from college, I said to my mom and dad, can we write and record the best song that we can before I go to grad school? Did your parents write? Uh, no, but me, I met, oh. I'm sorry, me and my friends. Okay. So we wrote a song called Where Are You Now? It was about a girl who broke up with me. And I, my, my piano player friend, Rich Congdon, wrote the piano part. He gave it to me. I took it home, sat down behind my drums, played the drum track, and sang and wrote the song in about three minutes. And then, literally, Bon Jovi was coming to my hometown doing a show in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. And I'd already taken the song over to Jeff Walker, who was the DJ at WKRZ-FM in Wilkesbury, and he liked it. So when Bon Jovi was coming to town, I told him, I said, can we open up for Bon Jovi? We'll even pay to play. Okay, I love how you just put yourself out there and you're a hustler. Like, you're just, like, making it happen. You're not waiting for it to happen. Well, because I spent $5,000 recording the song, <laughs> my like, mother's going to kill me if I didn't I make this happen. This needs to get a life. It needs to get a life, yeah. <laughs> and then I, or I needed to get a life. <laughs> and so we opened up for Bon Jovi. And you then, opened up for Bon Jovi? Yeah, let me restart. Start. You seven. just went up to the radio station and said, hey, I think I need to open up for well, Bon Jovi, they, they and heard, then you did? They heard the song, they liked it, and then they said, you'll have the, they'll have the gig, but we, we wonder if you can play the record on the radio. So they played it on the radio, and uh, they called me, and they said, you need to make a 45 out of this. And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. So I learned how to mix a record, I'm sorry, master a record, uh, manufacture a record, and, I, and the record stores in the, in the area were Joan Ardone's Gallery of Sound. They wanted a 1,000 of them, so we gave them a 1,000. And then a week later, he called me, and he said they were all sold out. So he wanted another 1,000, so we made another 1,000. We ended up selling about 15,000 singles. Like independently. Yeah. And then, that's, and then it started to go to Allentown, Philadelphia, and then that's when all the major labels this started This is what the dream is. Like, that is the dream story. Everyone dreams of that happening. Yeah, but it know, actually it, happened it, to you. It's funny because that movie, That Thing You Do. Yes. They're from Erie, Pennsylvania. Our story was almost like that. I, 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 I often they, wonder if, they, if there was a... They borrowed a little bit uh, of your maybe. story. Yeah. So, 
But um, oh that, my that's god! Started, yeah. So it naturally just started rolling. It did. You yeah. put obviously you put the momentum out there, but then it just started going. Well, and then as it started to go, we were tied in with some independent uh, promoters who got themselves in some uh, not good situations, <laughs> and all the new artists that were tied to those indies were uh, delayed. I'm sorry, dropped, and all the major artists were uh, delayed, and so um, we ended up. Uh, getting you know, dropped from Columbia Records. And then between 86 and 89, there were radio stations uh, rediscovering songs that didn't work the first time. So um, his name was Jay Taylor and Guy Zapolian in uh, Las Vegas at KZZP and KLUC. And they started playing the record. And a friend of mine, Joan Ardone, who owned that record store, was in Las Vegas, and he said, they're playing your song every three and a half hours. you got to find out who it is. So I went and I looked through a book called The Yellow Pages of Rock, found out who, you know, it was KLUC, and Jay Taylor said to me, tomorrow morning on the cover of USA Today, there's going to be a story about you, Benny Mardona, Sheriff, and UB40. So I'm like, wow, it was like finding a bag of money. Like, this was just a little gift that was happening. Yeah, in 1988. I'm sorry, 89. So then I went back to the people who got me my first deal. They re-released the record, and the second time it went to number three on the AC chart and top 10 CHR, and it stayed on the charts for like 48 weeks. And since I was one of the writers, it made a lot, you know, a lot, a good chunk of money. So that helped me pay some bills and some of the debt. And then as fast as that happened, the second single I wrote uh, that I released was a stiff, and I got dropped again. Ah. Oh. Yeah. But talk about like a glory story of how it had a second life though. Your no, song it, did. Yeah, it was amazing. That and doesn't it, usually happen. Songs usually get their one shot. If they don't work out, it's like bye. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of great people. I mean, Brian uh, Phillips, who's now at CMT, he was a big believer, and he was in. Uh, a radio station called KDWB in Minneapolis, and uh, some other former guys like Mike Kennedy who used to be in Kansas City, and uh, there's a lot of them who played, and they were all great people, but it was really an energizing thing because the band had broken up, and I was just starving, still playing music, and literally it was like finding a bag of money, like, holy cow, I'm on the cover of USA Today's entertainment section, and the song is being re-released, and it really was a great energizer, but I learned a lot about the business. And What'd you I learn? Well, when I went to L.A., um, Jerry Greenberg was the president, and Dave Ursa was senior VP of promotion. And I used to hang out at the record company more than the studio. I just loved watching them get songs on the radio, putting the videos together, marketing everything. And that was when I got the bug to switch sides. Okay, I was going to ask you, yeah. how did you decide to switch? Well, I was starving, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I, I learned a lot, and I said, you know, I, I need to make a living. Uh, I was married, and my wife said... Your uh, wife is a rock star. Thank you. With She's, the best abs I've ever seen. Yeah, I would agree with that. You could yes. wash your clothes on those. We do. We do. We've <laughs> saved so much money by not having to wash it. <laughs> so she said to me, um, we could pick New York, Nashville, or L.A., but let's just go and move there. And so we picked Nashville, came here, knocked on a few doors. One thing led to another, and I met Scott Borchetta. That was the, the first guy I met, and he, uh, he offered me a job at MCA and then got fired the next day. So then I had to take a job in the Southwest at yeah, Kirby Universal doing Southwest promotion. And then Scott started up DreamWorks, and then he called me and made me the Northeast Regional. And then I did that for a few years. He made me a co-national. And then uh, Mike Dungan uh, offered me the uh, and national. And he was over at Capitol? Yep. He offered me the national job, then the VP, then the senior VP. Did that for about five or six years. And, and I then... interned for you. You did? Yes. I did. I, I was did. always so nervous to say hi. I, back in the day, yeah. I was so... But you were a great intern. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I think that's what's led You to do all. this better, though. Thank you. But I was so... When I was an intern, I was so nervous because there was just so much happening, so much, like, powerful things going on. Yeah. And, like, you were running it all. And I told you this before. I will never forget. You printed out this book, 
the art of war. Yeah. And there are all these steps and you pass them out to yeah. all of your staff and you're yeah. like, we're reading this as a group. Yeah. It was, I think it was the 48 laws of power and the 48 laws of seductions or something like that. Yeah. And I just want everybody to read it and understand that, you know, this is, this is sales and it's not easy. And we had so many records and they were all hits. So, you know, I never wanted to go to Luke Bryan or Charles Kelly or Darius Rucker and say, this isn't working, but I will tell you a funny story. So okay. Luke Bryan, one of the classiest guys in the business, <laughs> First single comes out, and Mike Dung had picked it. It was called All My Friends Say. goes to number three. Second single was a song called We Rode in Trucks, I which I love. 14 weeks in, it's not working. So, so what does that mean when it's not working? It just means that people were either not playing it, didn't want to play it, or when they did play it, people didn't like it. But overall, it just wasn't working. Okay. So I have to call in Luke Bryan and tell him his second single is not working. So I call him in. He sits in the office, and I go through this long, very soft pedaling thing, just trying to make it easy on him. And he goes, well, fuck, I wrote the thing. If it sucks, it ain't your fault. It's my fault. Let's just pick another single. (laughs) And the next single went to number three. And the reason I say that is because success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. Success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. What does that mean? Is an orphan. That's that's so profound. When anything is is successful, everybody wants to take credit. But when it fails, nobody wants to be near it. Oh, okay. And so Luke was great. And he just, he said, listen, you know, we all did it. It didn't work. Let's just get our stuff together and go. And he's still that classy guy today. Don't you kind of think to sustain yourself in an industry like the music industry that does have so many ups and downs, you kind of have to develop that attitude of just, okay, let's just keep it going. Keep it rolling. Like everyone tries their best, but it's like you can't harness magic and like predict what's going to happen. And you have to have tough skin and you can't take it personally because it's art, and there's you know there's no there's no best guitar player in the world. There's no right. best singer in the world. It's all subjective. And it's like, why does one person Absolutely. take off, and another person with all this talent doesn't? Yeah, and that's the toughest part of my job is when I have to say something's not working after yeah. a, a, you know a collegiate try. And it is a business at the end of the day. It so, is. So if it it's doesn't an expensive work, expensive business. It is, and if it doesn't work monetarily, you know we always say that art that doesn't that doesn't sell is an obsession with a storage problem. Art that doesn't sell is an obsession with a storage problem. Which means you love it. You have so many good lines. It's all the books, see? (laughs) These one-liners. We need to write a one-liner book of Jimmy Harnon. There you go. (laughs) Okay. So how do you decide when you want to sign an artist? What is it that makes you want to sign someone? You know, I think I I read a book of uh, Clive Davis, and he said he signs things that he can't get his arms around. Meaning when he sees something or hears something, and it's, you know, it could be reminiscent of something else, but he just can't figure out why. It, it, he's just attracted to it. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you get married. You know, what, what makes you want to get married? It's just that that attraction that you go, I just need to be with this person. Mm-hmm. And it was that way with, you know, Michael Hobby and A Thousand Horses. And it's the same way with Brett Young. And uh, I'm sure Scott with Taylor and, and all the other artists that we have here. So it's just that thing that you see and you go, I, this is where I belong. I feel like you have never been scared to take a risk on people either. Like, I feel like you will put yourself out there for something that is a little bit more alternative or not, like, as mainstream. Because a lot of your acts, other people didn't sign, and then they've gone on to be, like, really successful because you saw something that maybe other people didn't. Well, I think the the thing I look for is something unique. I always listen for a unique voice. Again, Michael Hobby has a very unique voice. You do love a unique voice. And I think because it starts there. It, it, It has its own space. And it has its own oxygen. And if you have that lane, then that's one check mark out of the way. Then you just need to get great songs, which is not easy. Yeah. Uh, and you need to have a great performance. But that's the first thing I listen for is, is the voice unique? And will people hear it on the radio or hear it on Spotify or hear it on iTunes and go, who is that? Can you explain to me the marriage between record labels and 
radio stations because I think the a relationship. Lot, yes, like the marriage of like that balance because I think a lot of people, most people, mm-hmm. do not understand the power of radio and like how it works. Well, I mean, in radio, uh, they are the ultimate uh, matchmakers, as Kimberly Perry once said, you know, from the band Perry. She said, they're the people who take your song to the consumers. But the thing is, you don't just send them a song and they play no. it. It's way more complicated than that. Well, I think they, obviously, they what they don't play can't hurt them. So their okay. airwaves are very important, and you can't sit back and not respect that. So they only have a certain amount of time in a day, and the best songs win. And every program director or music director puts on what they think is best for their station. Because they need people to stay listening to that station. They don't want to have a song that makes people want to turn the dial. Right. Right. So, so it's it's a balancing act. So you'd have to sign. You know, it goes all the way back to the beginning. You have to find great artists with unique voices, with great songs, have great relationships at radio, be trustworthy, do the right thing, have a great character, and. You're not always going to win. Sometimes winning, in my opinion, you have to lose a lot to win. Totally. And, and you can't win every game because there's another saying, you know, a pig gets fed and a hog gets slaughtered. So never be a hog. You, <laughs> you want to be a pig. I want to be a pig. And pigs in, are in so the much cuter than they hogs, are. too. I agree. <laughs> that, can you start writing your quote I'm book? done. We're doing it. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> okay. So you, that's the thing. So how do you stay a pig and not a hog? Because isn't it sometimes don't you want to be a hog? I think it's a balance. I think that, you know, you know, another saying I, I, my dad used to say is if you try to pick up 10 pillows, you're going to drop all of them. But if you pick up two, you're going to be able to carry them out. So I think life is always a balance and you can't be greedy. And I think if you do that, in the long run, more people will help you out than if you go the other way. Who has been one of your greatest inspirations in this business? Who have you really learned from? I guess who would you call like a hero for you or someone that you have admired greatly throughout your career? I think anybody who's come in my life. I mean, from, um, from Jerry McDowell, who hired me at Curb Universal, to Mike Dungan, Scott Borchetta, um, my old managers back in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, Tom Greco was a great business guy, uh, Gary Kornfeld, Mitch Kornfeld, and uh, Mark Kornfeld owned a club called The Woodlands. I worked there. They all taught me a lot of things. What uh, are the things that stood out the most that they taught you? How to be driven, how to be detailed, how to make sure you're always moving forward. Uh, don't confuse motion with progress. Don't confuse, because that's just like being busy, but not accomplishing anything. Well, it's like being in a rocking chair. You move all day, but you don't accomplish anything. Right. So I've, all those people have taught me all that kind of things and, and to be good with details. And then my mom and dad just taught me to be as, as good of a person as you can be. And my wife still does that today. And, and my kids still teach me that kind of stuff. It's like, dad, you're being you know, a dork. Don't do that. <laughs> You know, my wife's saying, don't do that. So everybody you meet, you know, they, they say you have two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you talk. And so I try to listen more than I talk. I love that. Okay, so if your world could go yeah. perfectly, yeah. what would things look like for you in the next five years? And then let's just go ahead and say the next 10 years. If you could just lay it all out there, what would be happening for you in the next five years? Well, I'd like people to understand. I, I think we have to find a way to... Um, get people to understand the value of music. I agree. And what do you think like with the whole Spotify stuff and streaming? Like, cause there's people are streaming on this music, but it's not making money. Like how do you think that's well, going to happen? I think it's the, um, and we what have, happened? Because music used to make so much money. Yeah. Well, I think that the digital world changed everything. So I think that you know, if you have a phone right now, it's very easy to 
pay $15 a month for Spotify and stream it, and it's right there. And it's a great concept. It's a great concept, and it's a great platform. What we have to do is get as many people as we can to Spotify, to Pandora, to the streaming services, and pay appropriately. Right. It's the free streaming that it's, just, that it's just taking money out of our pockets. And I actually think that, you know... Uh, we need to raise the the, the, the cost of a, of a single a little bit and raise the cost of an album. It's not inexpensive to do what record labels do or what artists do. And not anybody can just do it. You know, I was, somebody was talking uh, to an artist, and I think they were talking to Sting, and they, they kind of made the, made him feel like, well, anybody could do what you could do. And I'm like, no, he's Sting. <laughs> you don't just do what Sting does. Sting's <laughs> yeah. a genius. And I was, I was watching, listening to that interview, and I was kind of just deflated thinking that, People just think it's easy, but exactly, it's not. It's as you not. Know. So it's a it's a tough life, and it and takes a team of people. Absolutely, and it's not easy to create. It's not easy to get brilliance to to write a song like Michael did with Smoke, or to to write what Taylor does. I mean, that's just those songs just don't fall out of the sky. They come from within, and it's a gift. And music really does have value. And Scott and Big Machine Label Group are really trying to push that message to let people know how much value music really does have. Because if, it, if we don't start monetizing this, we could endanger an American art form, which is music. If you could have it the way you'd want it, how would you monetize it? Well, I, this is just a personal view. I, I think we have to get a lot more people, as Scott Borchetta says, we have to get it to scale. we got to get more people to pay for it, not do the free. And I think if we do that, that's a step in the right direction. And then let's take it from there. Let's, you know, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. So let's just take it one bite at a time and move on. And I think we'll, it'll start showing us how to, to move towards the future. Okay. What are you most excited about this year? What's on the horizon for you this year? Well, I mean, all the music... Um, you know, I'll take it to the family thing for that. My son is now 16 and driving, and he's about to go to his senior year and then go to college. So I'm excited about that. That's crazy. He's yeah. already going to college? Yeah. Where does the time... I know. Where... I was going to say, where are you now? Yeah. But that didn't actually Where work. did it go now? Yeah. <laughs> where does it go? I know. It just flies right by. And you know, when he was he's uh, born in 2000, and Don't Blink came out right when he was born. Oh, and that I remember hearing, song. Yeah, and it, and it does. It really does fly right by. Uh, life happens when you're doing stuff. And, and so I'm really excited about him going to college and my daughter driving, which is <laughs> scaring me. And by the way, your daughter's a knockout, so good luck with that. I'm scared about that. <laughs> excited about that and scared about that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And just spending time with my family and try to balance my life and, and be a good father and a good executive and, and break a lot of new music. That's That's been my biggest thrill is breaking new music. So how exciting is it when you say like with a thousand horses with smoke and then Brett Young just had his first number one. How exciting is it to you when you have this artist that you believe in and then you put all this build up and all the setup and then it actually works. That's the best. I mean, is that the moment you live for? Like in the industry, is that like the moment of like, oh, my God. Yes. Well, if you if you realize that they start from essentially nothing, no disrespect, they start from very little, meaning in terms of chart success or sales, and you see it happen and you watch it happen, and it's even more exciting to know that the art that you saw and heard, the consumers like as well. That that's a great feeling, and the only way you can get that is by doing it. And it's and I'm very fortunate to to be able to experience that. What stresses you out most about this business? Uh, unhonest, dishonest people, um, people who, yeah, yeah, just not any, anybody who's dishonest and just can't have a grown up conversation or a, a positive conversation and any kind of negativity. I mean, I got into the music business because it was fun. 
And when someone's dishonest or when they get angry or when they get all bent out of shape about stuff, it's like, we're not saving lives here. We're making music. So let's keep it fun. Let's keep it positive. Let's keep it happy. And it'll all be good. What makes you respect someone? That they respect themselves. Um, that they take care of themselves uh, and they present themselves well and they're positive and they try hard and they're optimistic. Um, you know, just good people attract good people. And I think if you are a good person, there's a lot of things that can go your way and you don't even know they're happening because you're just a good person. I totally agree with that. I actually think that people want to root for people who just are keep trying. Yeah, positive energy. And it's it's not easy, especially in this business, because, you know, it's like you just keep trying. You, you hit, you miss, you hit, you miss, you hit, you miss. But you have to. Or you... You know, Kenny Rogers, great line. He said, there's two kinds of people, those who get it done and those who bitch about it. So try not to bitch about it. I, I agree. I think yeah. it doesn't do any good. At you all. just attract more of that negativity. Uh, I agree. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So I have a question. Okay. If you won the lottery and you won $30 million tomorrow, mm-hmm. what would you do? i probably donate a good part of it um, if I got it all in one lump. Um to a lot of people who I think might need it, a lot of uh, charities that might need it. Uh, obviously, take care of my family um, and probably enjoy life a little more crazy in some ways, like <laughs> I think anybody would do. Probably buy something stupid. If you could be the pet dog to anyone, who would it be and oh, why? My, my wife. <laughs> my wife. I mean, our, our, she's like, the, she's like the, the animal queen. I mean, she's just, she just loves animals. She's, you know, you, you probably see on her social, she's always she got the two dogs. It. I mean, we have two rabbits. Two dogs. We feed the deer and the turkeys in our yard. And yeah, definitely my wife. She's like Snow White with the animals. Yeah. Yeah. If you could be the pet dog to any celebrity, who would it be and why? Reba McIntyre. Oh, details. She's just the best. I mean, she's just. Uh, what is it about Reba that you love? Uh, everything. Uh, we just released an album on her that uh, uh, went to number one. And she the whole week on the road, I mean, she's Reba McIntyre. And, and she's never stopped reinventing herself and staying relevant. How does she do that? Well, she never, well, because she's talented. I mean, Obviously, you know, the talent is there. She's incredibly talented. She's a uh, mentor and, and, and many, uh, she inspires a lot of people, both in the business and uh, an artist. But she never complains. And I'll never forget the first time I met her. It was like 96 in Dallas. She goes, hi, I'm Reba McIntyre. Like she needed the last name. Like, like <laughs> Oh yes, Reba McIntyre. But there's never a stuck upness. There's never a, uh, a you know nose up in the air. She's just that hardworking, incredibly talented artist that's you know changed a lot of people's lives. And she's never too like too. She I feel like she never gets too caught up in who she is to stay young and hungry. Yeah. Like she's always seeing what's out there and evolving with it. I agree, yes. which I think is so crucial. Well, why do you like her? Probably because when you see her. She makes you feel like she's your best friend. Yeah. She's got talent for days. Yeah. She's approachable. She doesn't yeah. feel like she's too good to talk to anyone. And agreed. her songs, like, yeah. they relate. Yeah, agreed. And she's cool. Yeah, and she's, she's hot. She's way cool. Yeah. Okay, so let me make sure I've asked you all the sure. questions that I want because then I like to wrap up with... Leave your light. Mm-hmm. So leave some inspiration. Leave your light or how you have been inspired, or how you would like to inspire people? I mean, kind of a lot of the things we just talked about. Um, I hope that um, when someone looks at something I've done, they say that I did the right thing. Uh, I was positive. I was respectful. Um, I did it with, with as much care and sensitivity as I could. And 
impacted their life in some way positive that made them go, that helped me move in a direction I needed to go. I love that. Thank you. Jimmy Harden, thank you for oh, joining me today. And I'm going to get that lipstick. I got it waiting for you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. Caroline, she's the queen of talking. I hope you guys loved hearing from Jimmy Harnon. You guys, next week, I have the redneck woman herself, Gretchen Wilson, joining me. What? And John Ma- John Barry, your love amazes me, are joining me. I interviewed them at CRS, which is Country Radio Seminar, where tons of artists go around and they talk to radio and they tell what's going on in their life and their careers and their music. And I got to interview Gretchen Wilson and John Barry, so I'm making it a double episode. You will not want to miss it. Gretchen Wilson in the house and John Barry. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to subscribe and leave some comments. Bye.